Welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. That's what Books That Work is all about, making it easy to learn new things to make work better. We've shared 12 business books already, interviewed 12 authors and prepared 12 Take 5 summaries to use to test stuff out at work. There's a lot of incredible insight, actions, tips and ideas from those books. So, for this and the next episode, we're going to do something a little different with Books at Work. This episode is dedicated to leadership and it'll provide in one place a shortcut to the best and most useful bits about leadership from our first dozen books. Before we get into it though, congratulations to Caroline Norrie, you're the winner of You Don't Need an MBA. We've got loads of feedback on Alicia Mackay's book, so thanks everybody for that. And thanks for the old friends who've got in touch as a result. Right, to the best and most useful bits of our book so far on leadership. Here are some of the questions we're going to try to answer. Leadership makes or breaks an organisation, right? What makes the most effective leaders for today and in the future? And what does leadership that works actually look like? Global research tells us that we need leadership that inspires and motivates, builds relationships through empathy, collaborates, innovates, is honest, has integrity, and is sensitive and understanding of the new stresses that we're feeling from COVID. So that means leadership with resilience. It also tells us that for organisations to thrive, they must become distinctly human. So what do our books that work authors think about leadership and what makes great leaders? Let's kick off with purpose. Purpose matters. Gail Kelly, the former first woman CEO of Westpac Australia, warns that purpose only matters if it's made real and people can see their role in delivering on the purpose and it's baked in to what happens every day with customers, decisions and each other. Uh, I think the first thing for a leader is is to make sure that they articulate not clear on what the purpose of the organization is. And I suppose I'm talking here from a, a senior leadership point of view that the organization needs to be crystal clear, not only on what it does. In a bank, yes, you sell mortgages. In a bank, yes, you open transactions, accounts, and so on. But, but on the why does it matter? What's the purpose? Why do we exist in the first place? And in a banking context, it's, it's quite easy, really, to think about. You're here to help customers. You're here to help people. You're here to help communities prosper and grow. So there's a fundamental purpose. We're so connected in an integrated way with the economies and the communities that we engage with. And we're here to make a difference to the, to the lives of our, of our customers, the lives of the people we engage with, and the lives of the communities. So critical that firstly, the leader, the role of the leader is to articulate what that purpose is, the why, because it creates meaning. And people want to feel that they're part of an organization that has a meaning, that has a a bigger purpose to it than simply making money or or simply the what of, of what we do. Leaders who elevate the why of what is being done will build better teams and make more of a difference for our organisations in the bottom line. So you're a leader who understands the why of what your business or organisation does. How do you take others with you? How do you make it real? Another name for how we do things in our teams and organisations is culture. 
Leaders who get culture, understand what good culture is, prioritise it and live and breathe it because they know culture is the thing that will get their organisation humming is what Colin D. Ellis is trying to create through his work. He's got a few books out and his leadership advice comes from his book, Culture Fix. Well, you need a number of factors, Anna. Firstly, you need that understanding of what culture is. I think that's often missing. Um, and you need it across the organization. You, you need that full understanding that, you know, to get everybody, I hate getting everyone on the same page, but it's true. We don't understand what it is. So it's hard to ever get there because people don't get it. Then what you need is that real commitment from senior leadership team that culture is the number one priority. I recently, uh, well, earlier this year, I uh, turned down some work with an organization in New Zealand because the CEO said culture was number three or four on his list. I was like, well, this is not going to work because if culture is not your number one priority, then nothing else is. You know, the things above culture were programs of work, which ironically required really good culture in order to deliver. Um, So it it needs that commitment uh, from the senior leadership team. It needs them to sign up to behavior change, too. It needs them to understand that they're role models for everything else. Leadership that works asks questions and is curious. These leaders say if they don't know something or need help. We want more leaders who listen, learn and grow like this. Author Kieran Flanagan in Forever Skills wants us to ditch the statements and turn these into questions. Questions open possibilities. Statements, on the other hand, shut them down. Her research with Dan Gregory about the skills our leaders need for the future include a significant focus on communication. I can't tell you the number of conversations with incredibly successful people from all kinds of fields of life and backgrounds. And when we, one of the questions we asked them was, what do you think the key skills that made you successful and got you to the position you're in, what do you think they were? And overwhelmingly, communication in some ilk was one of those skills. Overwhelmingly, any person who'd gotten themselves in what society would deem as successful, climbed to the top of a company, was a you know, world champion athlete, any one of them would say communication was critical. And that's because human beings can't work in silos. If we want to be successful, we can't build ourselves alone. No one will buy your stuff. No one will, you know, show up to engage with you. No one will hear your idea. And a lot of people have cleverness and smarts, but they fail because they fail on communication. They don't know how to take what's in their head and transfer it to another person. They don't know how to take their enthusiasm and passion for customer service or something and transfer it to another person. So as long as human beings are in societies, we're going to need to take communication. We're going to need to take what's in us or what we want to get other people to do, and we're going to need to transfer that to get get a reaction and get an action. So that's why communication is in there. Can you persuade? Can you influence? Can you motivate? Can you express an idea? Can you emotionally connect? Can you build a community? Those things are absolutely critical and communication is a fundamental cornerstone of success and it will not go away. Leadership that works is about being yourself saying if you don't know something, sharing who you are and what matters to you. 
I often pose the question, would your family or friends recognise you in the way you behave as a leader at work? Gail Kelly's approach to leadership has been my Bible for years. Her generosity of spirit leadership model has been something she's adopted and applied for a long time. But for many leaders in today's workplaces, they're struggling with this approach. Being generous of spirit as a leader also means you deliver better results and outcomes. So let's hear from Gail. And I was determined to articulate more clearly an alternative model of leadership. And I called it generosity of spirit because fundamentally the role of a leader in an organization is to create an environment where people can flourish and to create an environment where people can achieve more than they think possible. And the foundation of that, the very grounding of a generous spirited style of leadership is a deep respect for every single human being and a belief that every single human being can bring their best to work and therefore, a philosophy and a strategy that says, how do I enable this individual to bring their very best to work? And so that drives an approach that says, I walk in your shoes, I listen, I seek to understand, and I, I'm here to support, to coach, be honest in my feedback, but walk with you. And it means I get to know you as an individual. So every single team member, you need to get to know their own particular dreams, their own particular fears, their vulnerabilities, where they are in their career cycle, what they're looking to achieve, what are the things that are, they're struggling with, so that in walking in their shoes, I can best put them in a position where they can flourish. I can provide them the type of support that they need to be the best that they can be. And this drives an inclusive style of leadership. Now, a lovely way to think about what is generosity of spirit is to think about what it's not. And so, We've all experienced leadership that's selfish, leadership that's me first, leadership that's siloed, leadership that watches people fail or sits on the fence and says, let me see how this plays out before I'll go and help you, as opposed to the type of leader who will reach out and, and, and they can see things are not going well, say, how can I help? What can I do? Are, are there ways that I can provide you support? Or can I early on say, oh, I'm not sure about that? Or can, can we talk about the way this is going? Or early on say, I've noticed that, 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 you know, there's some behavioral elements. Can we talk about why that might be the case? Now, two quick things on this style of leadership, because a lot of people, their myths around the style of leadership, this being generous spirited. The first myth is that it's, uh, it's, it's you either have it or you don't. So you're either the type of leader who engages, that's inclusive, that walks in people's shoes, that looks genuinely at people and wants the best for them, or you're not. That is complete nonsense. You can learn to be a generous spirited style of leader. And in fact, this is a, a way of life. It's not just a leadership model. It's a way of living your life. And you can learn it every single day. I try to get a little better. The key is self-awareness. The key is to be aware of your own impact on others and aware of the way in which you're engaging. And so you can stop and pause and say, how did I make that individual feel? And, and is there more that I can do to help that individual have a good day? More that I can do to have that individual feel empowered, feel trusted, feel 10 feet tall, feel recognized, feel supported, helped when they're in a difficult spot and coached when they're doing something not, not correctly. So you can learn this by being self-aware of your impact on others and asking others for feedback, asking them to bring to your attention when you diminish someone or when you forget to acknowledge someone or when you miss something, ask them to bring it to your attention. So that's the first point. This is something that you can learn. The second point is there's nothing soft about this leadership style. People might think the old alpha male style, command and control, that's the tough leadership. That's just all mirage. 
that's much easier to lead from a corner office and have other people do all that you're bidding. A much harder leadership style is this generous spirited leadership style because it demands authenticity and it demands consistency and it demands you being out there every single day, walking the talk on this leadership style, being vulnerable, learning, uh, stepping up again, uh, and every single day uh, being the best leader that you can be and seeking to create the environment where others can flourish. Leadership that works takes time. Leadership is a full-time job. I've been impressed by a CEO I've crossed paths with recently who's deliberately setting aside the equivalent of one day a week to deliberately connect with people and teams across the organisation. Now that's leadership. Making time to support individuals in your team and across your team, learning new things, thinking about the future and connecting and influencing in your organisation can't be squeezed in with whatever else needs to just get done. So we've covered purpose, culture and people. So strategy has to be next. Strategy is just one part of the leadership puzzle. Alicia Mackay, in her book, You Don't Need an MBA, talks a little bit more about this. If we look at particularly some of the really, um, the really available data, if you look at things like um, the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs reporting um, and, and those kind of reports, we see that when we're tracking the demand and, and significance of particular skills over time, there's a few that always rise to the top. And those are things around creativity, judgment and decision-making, agility and flexibility in response to change. Um, and those particular skills all link into this skill set of, um, of strategic capability. But there are still operational and technical requirements for anyone who does any job. And, and what I've been particularly influenced by in thinking about how to balance those things out is some work by Kaiser and Overfield in the Leadership Versatility Index, where they have a great series of works around what they call strengths overused. And it's going, look, some of us are better on the operational, others are better on the strategic, some of us are great on the influence, others are great on the technical and how things work. What we need is not to say that any of those things are better or worse than the other, but to make sure that we've got the right balance. And what tends to happen is we're rewarded for developing a particular skill set and we overdevelop that one. And so I want to be careful about saying these skills are more important than the other skills you know. I'm not saying that. I'm saying these skills are the things you probably haven't been taught and you've probably overinvested in some other ones and it might be time to do a bit of this. And the last word on leadership goes to Judith Beck in her book, No Sex at Work. And it's all about relationships. People who, the top 10 percenters especially, they know that, that the key to success a lot of times is building relationships at all levels and having that connection with people. You can integrate technology with that, but you, know, you can't put a price on the on building relationships and there's there's only certain ways that you can build good relationships and that is often by having that connection and meeting the person getting to know them asking the right questions i talk about not levelizing you know the importance of um, common courtesies and you know over the years 
the people, you know, I was amazed that a top 10 percenter connects with everybody. From the moment they walk in that door, they connect with the receptionist, they're, they're nice to the administration people, they're considerate, they, um, when they um, uh, communicate even by email, they remember the common courtesies because how many people have read something into an email, a tone or lack of tone in an email and thought, what's the matter with them? You know, so they, they have mastered the art of communicating and connecting with people in a human, nice, respectful, respectful way. And it goes to their advantage through their career. That's our best and most useful bits about leadership from our Books That Work authors so far. I really hope there's stuff in there that you have been reminded of or that you think you'll try at work. And please go back and listen to the other episodes. There's a rich library of insights sitting there in our first dozen episodes. Please check out the Take 5 summary of booksatwork.co.nz. Follow Books That Work on Instagram and please share with anyone else who you think might be interested. I'd really love to know the things that you might be trying to make work better, what's working and what isn't. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books That Work, making work better. 